Today's show is brought to you by Bogart Extractors, an industry leader in hydrocarbon extraction. Over the last decade, Bogart has implemented many new technologies, which have helped to revolutionize the way hydrocarbon extractions are performed. Each unit is made with sanitary stainless steel and is built and tested right here in the USA. Their certified system for use in licensed facility meet all NFPA and ASME standards and undergo peer-reviewed by third-party engineers to ensure facilities and its employees can operate safely. Beyond simply making a functional extractor, Bogart has many additional features which make extraction faster and more cost-effective compared to other manufacturers. These features include hydrocarbon failing films to supercharge evaporation rates, heavy-duty explosion-proof pumps for flammable liquids and vapors, industrial chillers capable of maintaining large tanks of solvent at temperatures below 60 Celsius. They also offer extensive tech support and consultation services. So whether you need to set up an extraction lab from scratch or you just need some replacement gaskets, Give them a call at 855-553-3887 or check out their website at www.bogart.com. All right, we are on the Hemp Show Deep Dive. I've got Drew Kitt and we've got um, one of our team members, Franco Schmidt. So Drew, last conversation we had was um, on our hemp show. We only had 15 minutes to chat. And, you know, with you having so much history in the cannabis and the hemp uh, world and having just basically been around so long, even having your own CBD retail shop, uh, Two Moons, there was it, 15 minutes wasn't enough time. So, you know, I wanted to make sure that we got a chance to jump on this call, the long format, so we can just kind of dive more into your history, where you've been, where you're going, you know, basically everything from there. So if you don't mind to kick things off, do you mind giving a little, I know I, last time I gave the little, um, you know, bio of you, but if you don't mind giving your, your own little bio, just in your own words. Yeah. Kind of high level overview. And thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Originally from New York. So I am a fast talker but I'll uh, try not to rush it this time. I also talk with my hands, so I'll try to uh, just kind of stay, stay casual. But uh, yeah, so, you know, New York, Long Island. I mean, my relationship with the plant goes back to when I was like eight years old. I had a cannabis plant because I was living on a commune in Eastern Long Island. Um, oh, wow. And so this is like mid-70s. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I've been around it my whole life, but you know, fast forward to really getting into the industry um, was on dead tour. And a lot of us older guys, um, you know, around did a lot of dead tour, um, late 80s, early 90s. And I was kind of came across the emperor words, no clothes. And I'm actually wearing my Jack Herrera hat that I picked up from Jack's son, Dan. I just got back from NOCO uh, yesterday in Colorado. And, and Dan was there and he's a... Uh, his father certainly a legend in the industry, and a lot of people got started because they were turned on to the Emperor Wears No Clothes and hemp while on dead tours. So I ended up after, uh, let's see, 95 in Burlington, Vermont, and I was managing the Vermont Hemporium. It was, uh, we had three retail locations. It was a different scene. There was no CBD, unlike there is now, but a lot of hats and shirts and hacky sacks and 
pouches for glass pipes. And so we co co uh, were co-located in a smoke shop, head shop. And that was kind of the thing back then, but hemp was illegal. So we tried, um, there was some things were happening, but not to the scale and, and certainly a lot of restrictions within the industry. So I got out of it. I moved here to, I'm in Asheville, North Carolina, where there's a lot of a lot of hops, a lot of beer, breweries, and there's also a lot of hemp. It's a really cool scene. A lot of people are growing it, producing it. I have a retail shop here on my third year now. There's probably eight others within a mile of me, so it's a pretty saturated oh, wow. space, but it's, uh, you know, dif just differentiating shops, and we can get into that, but I was kind of, the, the story goes 2016, 2017, I was working at a logistics firm doing uh, export-related um, transactions globally while in Charlotte and a friend that I had met here moved out to Colorado and he got involved with him and um, he got in touch with me and said hey I hear you're in logistics and we're trying to move some hemp biomass from Colorado to Oregon can you help and so it kind of put it back on the radar for me 25 years later and uh, so I got involved in helping to transport some material, um, ultimately that led to getting into the seed side of things because he was involved in a well-known uh, company breeder that distributes genetic seeds. And so I got involved in that. And then at the end of 2018, it became legal for the first time in 80 years. And so I jumped in and, you know, other than the seed selling side of it to open up a retail shop, because that's something that's familiar and I could manage and it serves as an office for me here, as well as uh, the shop. So I'm kind of on two ends of the spectrum. I'm either talking with farmers and about different genetics, which, you know, there's several, it's seed selling season right now. So that's a lot of what I do. Um, but otherwise, I'm at the shop and I'm dealing with consumers every day that come in and ask questions all about CBD. So I go through the, uh, the whole educational piece. So, yeah, I'm kind of doing a whole bunch of things all the time. Nice. That's a ton of stuff. I mean, yeah, ultimately, with your background, it must have been uh, kind of like, what is it, riding a bicycle? You basically, just you took the training wheels off, you got back on the bicycle how many years later? It was, it was 15 years later. Yeah, I mean, it was like, so, yeah, 96. Oh, wow. So what is it now? So a long time. And this I designed when I was at the Vermont Hemporium. And there's a bunch of different promotions. Get him. And, 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 and this is really milk time. So and just recap, you said that that was the early 90s, right? At the Hemporium? Yeah, 96. 96. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, 96, I think I was still in elementary school. Yeah, you were, you were, you know, blazing trails, like literally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was, uh, and we had, I mean, we were like dying hemp twine. And again, it was, uh, it was a different thing. We had compound 420, which is like our famous soap. It was a, a soap blend that had hemp in it, but we were close to Canada and that's when they were starting to really ramp things up. So, okay. Now with yeah. back then, you know, you mentioned no cannabinoids, right? No CBD in that hemp. And with hemp being illegal in the U.S. to grow, right? So your hemp was all imported. Correct. Yeah. Time. And, you know, a first company that I started was, I think, 98 um, called Hemp Provisions. And it was all going to be like importing 
hemp and distributing it. But again, it was a challenging space, you know, the industry. And again, I tapped out of it for 25 years, but it went through a, a bunch of ups and downs as it related to all different aspects of the plant. Um, as I mentioned, having been at NOCO for the last three days, seeing where we are today with the industry is just awesome. As far as innovation, collaboration, those that have, you know, made it or are still trying, it was a really challenging right. year for most um, in 2020. But um, yeah, people are just still pushing it. It's, it's good yeah, to see. It's definitely inspiring whenever you go to these trade shows and you see just the professionalism that's kind of come into the space. Also, the new technology. Like I, that's my favorite part about going to these shows is seeing just some uh, some insane technology, uh, typically that was that was kind of modified, that was in different industries, whether it was uh, uh, big ag or or nutraceutical type situations that then modified their technology to benefit the hemp space. And you have these monstrous extractors that can extract ten thousand pounds in three minutes. I'm I'm totally over exaggerating, but there probably is one that can do that. Um, yeah, you know they they bring them in. They they bring them on forklifts and stuff. Those things are really cool. How, um, yeah, I guess real quick, you mentioned the, the NOCO show. I, as I said, I, I didn't have a chance to make it out, um, had other obligations, but um, what kind of, what was the environment there like, especially coming off the worst year in history, um, at least for most people in the US um, with, with the shutdown and COVID, you know, how's, how's the, uh, um, the enthusiasm out there? You know, how are, how are people doing? How are, are people rebounding? Like what would it look yeah. like to you? I mean, it was uh, it was certainly interesting in that it was a social environment. It was my first trade show. The last one I was at was at the World Expo out in California in I think January or February of 2020. So just before the COVID thing really started becoming uh, an issue as it related to social gatherings and events. And, you know, I've been at my shop now for the last year, six days a week, kind of hiding out, doing like this type of virtual stuff. Um, I talked at the World Ex Ag Expo this year, but it was virtual. It's just not the same as you. I mean, right. you can see you guys, but it's different than like hanging out and, and the, the camaraderie and stuff. So it was really cool to be able to go there and see a lot of old friends and colleagues, you know, albeit we were masked and socially distant, um, trying to be smart about it, of course. Um, but it's, it's great to pe see people in person. Um, the, the space, it was a new location. I think they did an excellent job. It was a bit compartmentalized and spaced out. It wasn't your standard like large facility all centrally located with a bunch of aisles up and down. So there was a lot of um, a moving around um, and okay. then running into people. And yeah, I mean, it was just, again, great to see people in person. I picked up my Jack Herrera hat. Uh, Jack's son, Dan, was there. And I mean, there were a lot of other people that I know and have gotten to know. Um, it's amazing having been back. It's only been a couple of years now, but the camaraderie of like people like myself that have been doing and been around the plant for so long, all coming together. And uh, yeah, it's, it's super interesting and exciting. And yeah, definitely. I mean, you've, you've been around obviously for a long time. It's, it's, I, I totally get what you mean. Cause uh, I would frequent the trade shows quite a bit, you know, whether we had a booth booth or we're there to meet different people, um, you know, or we're seeking something out. And I think the first one I went to was probably, I want to say 2000, like, 13 or 14. I'm not sure. Not, not positive. Um, some sort of hemp show and then went to MJ BizCon, you know, the 
biggest cannabis show in the country, the one in the one in Vegas, back when it was tiny. And then fast forward, you know, five, six years, and that thing is monstrous. You can't, even if you're there for three straight days, there's like 1,200 vendors or something. Uh, yeah, you, I was there, even, I think it was December 2019 was the, the most recent live show in Vegas. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I was at that one and, you know, trying to, tr trying to walk the floor, trying to meet some different businesses and you just, there's too many people and you don't have enough time. You know, it's, you just gotta, you gotta pick and choose. You're not gonna hit 1,200 businesses in those three days, you know, you really need to be strategic. But um, there's a lot of people that I recognize from five years prior, you know, that, that you get in, it's almost like, it's almost like you're one of the OGs that's been around for a long time because you've made it five years in the space, right. you know? And it's like, yeah, and you, there's that camaraderie. It's like, hey, I remember you, you know, let's, right. <laughs> let's go hang out. So yeah, it was really- there's, you know, It's funny you say that there's a few, you know, socially um, or the lack there of in-person social with all of the social media and certainly Facebook groups and obviously some, whether it's Instagram, LinkedIn is great because LinkedIn doesn't, it's hard for me as a shop owner to advertise or even talk about uh, the products that I carry in the shop when posting, I've been restricted and banned, you know, and you gotta be like, kind of walk this fine line, which is annoying because you're just talking about a legal product and trying to help educate right. people. You can't make claims. And there's a lot of restrictions that are put on, um, on products um, when when talking and trying to help educate, but um, oh yeah, seeing people recognizing them like there were faces and I saw someone walking by and was like, hey, I'm Drew. I've seen you online. You know, I just wanted to say hey, like I'm real and exist. And I think you know they appreciated that because you know I'm friends with people I don't really know, haven't met, but to see them right. meet them was important. Well, there's another topic that I'm I'm gonna not I'm not not gonna mention it right now, but I did want to bring it up with you. Um, and it's directly related to what you're talking about as far as the social media stuff that's going on. Um, now, I just wanted to comment on that real fast. We've been, I mean, we're, we're a software company. We don't actually sell, a, you know, a tangible product. We're a software and marketing company with the hemp show and with CanTrade and the application. So, you know, we're not actually growing any product and we're, we're here to provide the infrastructure and promote the businesses within our network, um, you know, connect everybody we can. Yet we get shut down all the time. We've been, we've been, we've been bounced between whether it was uh, law firms that bounced us, uh, filing business documentation that that said you know absolutely not. Just recently, some some Shopify issues with a different website that's unaffiliated, um, also getting shut down on social media. I mean, we believe it or not, we had the Hemp Show shut down. This was this was only a few weeks ago, or not a few weeks, uh, a month or two ago. So. You know, we're, we're dealing with this media nonsense and, and this kind of blackout all the time. There's nothing we can do. Even then, when we publish our shows, like, you know, we'll have snippets of this on, on YouTube. We get our YouTube stuff. Um, it hasn't been banned or pulled down completely, but we've had age restrictions placed on it. And it's like, we're not doing anything except chatting. Like, no, heck, we, we barely, I mean, maybe, I, maybe there's been one or two cuss words, but I'm like, I, it's crazy because it's like, you don't really to give you some broad um like clause like it was section blank violation of blank you know whatever it may be and it's so broad that you're like i that doesn't make any sense i didn't do any of that you know i didn't we weren't we weren't there we weren't selling cannabis goods or trying to promote the sale of them 
um, you know, we were just talking about this or that or a product and we end up getting shut down. So that was just one, one comment there. The other comment on the, the show, um, you know, no matter what, you can't replace in person. I mean, it's just, it's just not possible. I mean, I feel like at least moving forward, kind of like what we're doing now or, you know, the digital shows, they're, they're always going to be a thing now. You know, they really weren't much of a thing prior to so much has changed with the, with what yeah. happened in, in, in interesting ways yeah yeah well there i think they're always gonna i think they're always gonna be a thing but i don't ever they're never gonna replace that in person you know when you're actually sitting there jiving with somebody chatting about their products you know and you see the the enthusiasm and passion they have it's very hard to replicate that you know even even in a face-to-face conversation online Especially with smokable flour, and we can talk about that. But. Ooh, smokable! I, I I love smokable flour. You mean you mean replicate the experience of the smokable flour? Well, certainly. I mean every aspect of it. I mean you could see it, but that's pretty much the extent. Um, right. You know, there's there, there's no scratch and sniff app, at least that I'm not aware of yet. But uh, to to really get a true representation of any cannabis in its form and certainly looking at certifications and COAs and images, but to truly get the essence of that cannabis flower to be able to smell it, taste it, even structurally see it and touch it, the resin um, nature of it, and then the experience of it. I mean, right. none of it can be done um, without it being in front of you. And, you know, it's a well, lot of work at the shop well let, yeah i was gonna say let's keep going down that direction because i mean that that makes total sense plus you know besides just the product so much of this is a relationship experience it's you know who is that individual that is providing that individual or that business that's providing that awesome product for say you know your cbd shop that you are counting on that person to be there with amazing product every time you need it because when they don't provide it or that quality dips, who does it affect? It affects your clients. It affects your shop. You know, so all of those things, product, person, timing, you know, that they have to be on point. And when they say they're going to be there, when they say they're going to deliver a product, they have to be there because otherwise you miss out your, your, uh, you know, your clients and, and the people that you support with that shop, they get hurt. So I guess my question here, um, you know, what does that purchasing experience look like with two moons? You know, how do you deal with vendors, with quality control? You know, obviously there's so much out there and they all want to get into shops like yours. So tell me what that looks like for you and then what, what you're looking for for vendors. And to kind of close at least the previous thoughts. So yes, I'm on my third bank. I think my <laughs> second credit card processor, um, I have a brick and mortar, so I'm different than a lot of the other line sales. And I didn't have anything online. 2020 really kind of put me in the position, although I was here every day and you know, customers that are a lot of repeat business. Fortunately for me, I source a lot locally and I sell a lot locally. So, and there's about eight other retailers within a mile of me, like I mentioned. So I'm more of a health and wellness oriented. I'm, it's a cleaner setup. It's not a smoke shop or vape shop or gas station. So I generally get older clients clientele that will come in because they feel comfortable and approachable. And then once they come in and I get into my, use a lot of charts and um, with a lot of information and I really walk people through kind of high level what, what it's all about and explain it in a way 
and also really focus on their need. What's their interest? What are they looking for? Yeah. And then kind of getting into the product and the smokable piece is just one aspect of it. And, you know, having put it all online and that's helped with my SEO. So now when people are searching for a location, I come up. So that's been the real value and benefit, but I've had the bankers here in my shop and I kind of just go through my thing with them. So I feel that they've trusted um, me and who I am and what I'm doing and it's legitimate. Um, but there are new products that are out there that raise a lot of question and uh, interest sure. at the show, but we can circle back to that. As far as the flower itself, you're right. I mean, it's very um, unique. Every bit of it is. And um, there's a lot that goes into growing the plant. Obviously the genetics are key, but then you talk about the, you know, how is it grown? Is it outdoor? Is it greenhouse grown? Is it supplemental light? Is it true indoor where it's a complete controlled environment? Um, there's a lot of different opinion. Um, I'm kind of old school. So, you know, a, 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 there's type one, type two, and type three. And now there's type four actually. Um, and then it's really supplemental light or outdoor. Those are kind of the differentiators. For hemp, which is type three, that means it's low THC, below that 0.3 delta nine THC. And then the CBD ranges, um, and it really ranges on a per bud basis. I mean, when you get into like testing and COAs and the analysis of looking at certificate of analysis and identifying that cannabinoid profile, as far as what those percentages are, um, it's gonna be different on a bud to bud basis. And meanwhile, people are buying pounds and hundreds of pounds. So there's a lot of nuance and variability to it, but cannabinoids are just one piece of it. You know, that there's certainly um, effects associated with your CBD percentages, your THC, your um, CBG, which is kind of a, a more recent genetic that's being grown. But then there's your terpenes and there's so much to terpenes, the smell and then the effects associated with like a myrcene or caryophyllene, lemonine, pinene. Um, those are, in fact, cannabis, 95% of the terpenes are like there's five Um and, and the, the ones that I've mentioned, including terpenoline, which is the fifth one, but there's a lot of nuance and difference that you can't get sure. that across when you look at a picture. So having a shop like mine, I think is really the, the trust and the value. And people have talked about big box stores or when stuff's in a jar, but to, to have someone who can explain um, the flower and even be able to take a whiff of it, even when wearing a mask, you know, a lot of it is the nose nose is what they say. So I've firsthand yeah. will see people, I'll let them smell two different types of flour because I keep it loose on a jar, um, in, in jars so they can see it and smell it. And that really becomes kind of the understanding. But at the end of the day, you have to try it to really know. And right. so you, we have custom pre-rolls, you know, well, I'll roll you know, some of the flour for people to try. And then it's an experience and, you know, you just got to kind of go through it, see what works well, best for people. Yeah, this is one of the this is one of the things that um, you know at least say the cannabis space has gotten wrong. At least the regula regulations on it when they force it to be packaged up, you know, you can't experience, you can only see it, you can't smell it, touch it. You know, previously, at least in California, dispensaries out here, you know, everything was in jars. You see it, stick your nose in that jar, get a nice whiff, look around, get some nice, you know, they pick out some nice buds for you, which is you know, very similar, obviously it's the same, same plant. So um, it's a shame that, that people miss out on that experience. The other comment to here too is, 
you know, especially with your two moons uh, CBD being a location that's dedicated to just those products and you're not a head shop, you're not a smoke shop, you know, at the very least, I don't want to send my grandma or my mom, you know, I don't want to send my mom down to blank blanks bong shop to go pick up her CBD goods. I would 10 X rather, you know, bring her somewhere that she knows. And obviously when people walk in there, it can be intimidating for the first time, just like walking in a dispensary for the first time, walking in a bong shop for the first time, you know, it's, it's intimidating, especially if you haven't participated in that culture for a very long time. So for, you know, an elderly couple or, or gentleman or lady walking in there, it's super important that you know what you're talking about. Oh gosh. I can't tell you how many times I've asked questions in a smoke shop and they have no idea, zero clue. Those products are just on the shelf right there because it says CBD on it. And because it's CBD, you know, people will walk in and people will buy it yet. They have no clue what's going on. Uh, and, I, and to that point, you know, I'll have people that will come in and, you know, they haven't been in before and they check it out. And I encourage them. I let them know there's plenty of other places that they could go and, and try it. You know, as a consumer, you should be aware of what your options are. So um, essentially, I mean, the feedback, I've had people come in, they'll get something. I haven't seen them in a while. They come back and they'll be like, yeah, I tried other places, but it's the, the best selection. You know, I really focus on a, a high quality, but also fair value. Cause there's a lot of things I think that are over priced in the market. Um, but at oh the end goodness, of the day, yes. see, but you know how it works for someone. And so usually I'm, I'm steering people towards the least expensive way to start, you know, to at least get them to experience and try it. Cause everyone's different as far as your endocannabinoid system, the extent to which these phytocannabinoids are going to help you, whether it be with sleep, aches and pains, anxiety. I always tell everybody the FDA won't allow us to make any claims, but research has shown that it's been helpful for X, Y, and Z. But at the end of the day, you try it, but you have to adjust the frequency in which you take the dosage that you're taking. Um, so a lot of it's trial and error to see ultimately if it helps you and how, and I have many people that come back and either they'll stick with something, there's a lot of brand loyalty, um, or they're, they're open to trying different um, products to see the extent to which they can benefit. And that's certainly true on the smokable flower side. But the oh, way yeah. that my shop set up, I mean, it's categorically broken down. There's like five, five, three, five foot displays that are all glass. I've got smokable in one, so the flower and the vapes. And then I have all the oils and the edibles, like gummies and capsules in the other. And then I have the topicals, salves, bombs, creams, and then pet products. And it's pretty much laid out simple, but there's, I must have over 120 different products. And there are some unique differences as far as the dosage and the price point, but also as the industry evolves, you know, further differentiating. So it's not just price specific, um, but there's some more blended. So products that have CBD coupled with like elderberry or vitamin C or other plant-based extracts. In fact, we have a whole section that is local herbalists um, brought in their different products. So it's all plant-based extracts, plant medicine that you know helps people in a lot of ways. And a lot of people are coming in and wanting to try it because they don't want to take these chemicals that are having these bad side effects you know, that, that are causing challenges and issues. So this is like a natural plant-based 
uh, medicine that people benefit from. I don't even think I could say medicine, but you know what I mean. <laughs> right, right. Oh yeah, everybody. At least everybody that's that's interested and or going to listen to this, they they know what you mean. Um, yeah. To comment on the to comment on the the experience, the cannabinoids combined with the the terpenes to really give you that effect. You know, a lot of people call it the entourage effect. Um, you know, there's I've heard a ton of different terms for it as far as what people call it, but there's a, there's a comparison that I make sometimes. And one of them is uh, just relevance with say, take the cannabis flower, hemp flower, whatever you want to call it, just take the actual buds, um, the cola, and, and relate that to say a glass of wine, you know, and we'll just say a Cabernet Sauvignon, right? You have one Cabernet Sauvignon here, yet that same cab is grown all over the world and is, is very different based on the terroir. And uh, if you're not, so you're familiar with terroir? So I was one of the 156 people out of the 3000 plus that submitted for the Gangier certification. Okay. So I'm not familiar, if you're familiar with the Gangier, but they are doing exactly just that. They're kind of Northern Cal centric, um, but they have several, they have a, um, there's a group of, very well established professionals in the industry, old school that has been doing this a long time that's put together this course. And it's specifically about, it's, it's essentially the sommelier of cannabis. Okay. Yeah, um, so I've heard, is that, is that the one that's related to called the interpreter or the terpener? There's one that's, there was one around that was like kind of trying to coin themselves as the sommelier of cannabis. And they were, they were called interpreters or interpreneurs something like so that basically like in i mean the way i like i said i'm probably butchering it right now but uh it was kind of like they're interpreting the terpene slash <laughs> makeup of the, so it was just a different that is that that's not that right? it's not it's not the gangier program is not that one and i think there's a couple others in fact there's even some uh colleges or community colleges that are implementing cannabis-based trainings, like, you know, the local community college here has microbrewing classes because right. there's a lot of breweries here, but then there are others that are now establishing um, college curriculums that incorporate cannabis as a way to learn because it's a huge industry I, and it's growing, you know, it's a really good thing. Yeah, I 100% I would have done it. I mean, I, my degree was in agricultural business and my minor is in viticulture. And the only reason I, I'm not like I'm a, a wino. The only reason I did the viticulture portion of it was because I already had a bunch of core classes that kind of covered some, some of that information. I only needed like four or five more classes. I was like, you know what, might as well do it. So that's where I kind of got my jump in the wine space. And then I did, um, I was in the wine industry for, for multiple years. Uh, but I guess going backwards to the, to the terroir and the, for those who, will be listening to this and don't know what that means. It basically is a, there's no word for it in English that, um, that translate like, you know, one-to-one, -one, but basically what it means, it's, it's everything that goes into the creation of say a wine slash grape. So the climate, the soil, uh, the microclimate, the nutrients, the, the love, the pruning, whatever it may be, that's the terroir. And yep. um, so what I was getting at with the Cabernet Sauvignon example was like, I, I, you know, I talked to my wife about this I'm like, she, she, she loves wine. She's a total wino. And I'm like, look, 
your cab has variations in the exact same manner that the cannabis plant is going to have variations. And I'll just use the same strain as an example, even though there's way more variations, at least in my opinion, I'm not the expert here on the cannabis plant, uh, but we'll just say Blue Dream. That was one of the most popular strains for like 10 plus years. Um, you know, you get a Blue Dream here. It's going to be very different than a Blue Dream there, 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 there. Who knows if it's the same genetics really, but that same Cabernet Sauvignon, it's going to have a lot of variation between the different wineries, but I feel like the variation is so much less. And then also, I mean, sure, you're going to get a very high-end cab as long as they're not watering it down. Um, you know, there's going to be, and it, let's just say in, in the process is done correctly, it's going to be drinkable, but the smell and the flavor nodes that you get when you're drinking it, you know, when someone's like, oh, this has a touch of peach in it. Oh, it has, it's, it's burnt leather. You know, there's some really weird ones. Yeah. Even the, I think it even goes so far as like cat piss and shit too. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So it's like awesome when you're doing that with a wine glass and you drink that wine, you know, those flavors and those smells that you're getting, they're not necessarily going to affect the way you feel in your buzz because you're still just drinking alcohol, you know, but on the opposite end, when you're talking about cannabis, it's the, it's the complete opposite. So, you know, let's just say it has CBD and THC in the, in the cola that you're smelling. Every one of those smells that you're, um, that you're getting out of that, whether it's, whether you've got the cheesy skunk or you've got the pining, you got that pine flavor or the, or, you know, the citrus smell, every one of those is going to directly affect the experience you have when you use that product so yeah. and the variations are nearly endless so that's one of the yeah. like things i try to explain to to people when they try to relate at least trying to relate it to something that they typically ingest because oh no i don't smoke ever but i'll drink or i'll have a glass of wine here and there it's like well you know it's really very similar except the, the you're not necessarily putting poison in your body like uh like alcohol can be um, and you get all these different effects that are based on what it smells like, what that whole experience was in the first place. No, I mean, it's a great metaphor and you're right. I mean, even like, you know, what you buy, buy a bottle of wine, just based on an image that you see in a social media post. you know, not necessarily, that's why you, you go to, they have, uh, tastings so that you can experience it, but is, are you just consuming alcohol? Cause then does it really matter? Why would you pay? you know, X multiplier more for that bottle of wine over that one, if they have the same percentage of alcohol, but it's beyond that. So going back to that terroir, you're right. It's super um, interesting. And the more I'm learning about and understanding it, and again, going back to the differentiation between that type one, type two, and type three, type four, which are more minor cannabinoids, but the type one is the high THC, you know, being in Colorado, which is a rec state and seeing what they're putting out there is a lot of people are just pushing a super high THC product. And where I am in North Carolina, we're constricted because you can only get hemp, which is below 0.3 Delta nine THC. But some people gravitate towards, well, I want the highest CBD percentage possible. And that's not necessarily um, the most important. It's not the most important thing. It, it does go to also, what are those terpenes and, and what's the effect of those coupled with where was it grown? How was it grown? There's so much about the plant that is um, that it, it 
it's part of the environment that it's grown in, in a lot of ways, to your point, even the love that's put into it. I mean, all of those right. imports, the light. So one, you can't just base it on a cultivar, you know, because if it's grown in different environment, it's, it's going to be different. Um, so it, it, you know, the more you dive into it and realize all these nuances, it's, it's uh, super interesting. But most of the people that come into the shop, you know, after me giving, say, five to seven minutes of an explanation of things, you kind of glaze over. It's really ultimately at the end of the day going to boil down to the experience. Um, but I think it's important to be able to differentiate flower on the shelf and the reasons why and to be able to understand all of these nuances. And that's just the raw flower. Then you can get into all the other products that are that are out there. Um, right. Well, let's 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 do all of that. I, I mentioned earlier I wanted to talk a bit about your purchasing experience and just what it means to, you know, have, run, run two moons. So I guess what I want to kind of do here is I want to get into that. And I did ask that question, but let's table that for a second. Um, you know, I want to talk about the experience of two moons you know, from basically from start to finish. You know, you mentioned, you mentioned once the 2018 farm bill happened that you jumped into the retail space because you knew it was something that, you know, was in your wheelhouse and, and you'd be able to do. Um, what's that experience been like? You also mentioned you got shut down by different banks. So I'm sure, I'm sure besides the banking portion and you being able to accept money there, um, I bet there's been some battles you've had to have, you know, pushing, pushing your way uphill for even like, say, finding a location, getting insurance, you know, whatever it may be, I, I bet there's just been a ton of roadblocks that you've had to ultimately jump over. So, um, yeah, as, as mentioned, you know, the retail part of it was fairly straightforward, but I didn't open up Two Moons independently. I benchmark um, Two Moons or two other locations. So in essence, I was the third location to open up after it became legal. Um, okay. A couple other locations had been opened up previously, and I mentioned moving to Asheville about 20 years ago over 20 years ago now. And I worked at um, a Asheville Brewing Company. So I was in the microbrew scene because that's what I was doing up in Burlington, Vermont. Um, there used to be a place called Two Moons Brew and View, which is now Asheville Brewing Company. And, and they're we super well-known. They've been here for a long time, a great group of people. And they had opened up a Two Moons um, CBD dispensary. So, oh, cool. So having known that hemp was a thing um, and being super excited about it because it was suddenly now legal, instead of opening up Drew CBD shop, I wanted to leverage the relationship that I had and also an existing structure that I could benchmark and learn from them and what they were doing and how they were making determinations. I mean, you know, the, the end of the day is being that they were a licensed uh, distributor brewer of alcohol, which is a controlled substance, knowing that there may be a potential for hemp or cannabis to become legal at some point in time, the chances of getting a, um, the ability to be a dispensary of, you know, for full cannabis, whether it was rec or medical, by working with a licensed alcohol distributor, kind of potentially giving a leg up. Plus, there are right. other great people and stuff. So I opened up a third location, but I've always been independently owned and operated. They had since closed their locations um, over a year ago when the COVID thing struck. Um, mine is located in South Asheville, so I'm not downtown. It's convenient because it's a mile from my house, but I don't get a lot of the tourist traffic. 
um, which I think actually worked out um, because I, I serve a, a more localized community. And like I said, I don't do a lot online, um, but I have mm -hmm. a presence there, but I'm not really advertising. This is like an ancillary business. For me, it, it pays for me to have an office to sell the seeds. Cause at the end of the day, really my focus is to get genetics to farmers. Um, but it's, it's a balanced thing. You know, I feel that with it in this industry, everything moves so fast and there's so many things and whether it's the law changing, I mean, at any point you got to pivot. So to be diversified in my involvement in the industry kind of gives me an opportunity to uh, have some more flexibility. So when I need to be really shop focused, I can improve that. And I have, I mean, at this point, once they closed down, it dawned on me that wait a minute, I don't need to follow their lead. I'm my own shop. I could do whatever I want. And I reached out to a lot of the local hemp farmers here because we have such a great scene. So now I carry over a dozen local brands. So I felt that was really important. Everyone has their own brands that they're trying to push. Two Moons doesn't have their own brand. We represent right. in the market and we support and we help them. And I think that's super important because a lot of these farmers don't have their own shop. And the you know, online is such a crowded space to try to get eyes on site is not necessarily, oh, let's just optimize, you know, your SEO and then you'll be selling online. And that's not the case, especially when you can get shut down, um, you know, with Square. I had to go through the whole beta program um, in order to be accepted into it. And I had I was gonna make a comment. I was going to make a comment about that earlier, but sorry, let me, I'll let you finish. <laughs> um, so I had a registered nurse work for me for like the first year and we did a bunch of workshops and like CBD 101 or CBD and athlete athletes or you know the, the aging population just a lot of education um, at the shop and I think that was really helpful and informative but she also had a blog and I had to purge everything because we were educating about the value and benefits of CBD. But being that that was online, we weren't allowed to do that in order to be accepted into this program. So the whole thing is oh kind of gosh. stupid. But to your point, as far as the experience in the shop, when people come in, I mean, you know, you just engage, you ask questions and you listen a lot and you try to understand what is it that they're challenged by? What is it that they're looking for or wanting to try? And then you just walk through the, the different products, um, different price points, the different dosages, and it's all done in person. So for me to kind of walk you through that experience, it's best. And that's what pe I tell people when they call me is just, let's talk through it. And usually we land on something and the majority of the people that try it come back for more. Because at the end of the day, that's the thing you can if it doesn't help you, you're not going to continue. And right. this is a plant um, and it doesn't work for everybody. Um, like you were saying with your wife, with, my, with wine and my wife, cannabis is not her medicine. You Did know? you see her walk by? Did you see her walk by a second ago? <laughs> um, she just, she yeah. just got, she just, uh, she came back to go. She does a, a noon, a noon workout at our house after, uh, during work. So um, she, she so just, workout. So I got a lot of guys that come in that are like big workout guys and they really like CBD because it helps them with their recovery. And, you know, I'm a big lacrosse person. I grew up playing lacrosse. My kids play lacrosse and they're certain. Some those, that's those that. East coasters. West coasters yeah. don't, we don't know anything about lacrosse. <laughs> we didn't, we didn't get, we didn't, we, I don't think we even got lacrosse until like 2010. <laughs> 
my, my dream someday is to have a hemp-based lacrosse uh, equipment, including a, a, a hemp-based composite lacrosse head. I think that would be nice. Well, wouldn't that be, I mean, from my understanding, um, you know, some of the hemp fibers are so strong, they're, they're comparable to uh, carbon. So, yeah. you know, that, that would be amazing. You'd have an ultra light made of hemp uh, lacrosse. What, what's it called? A stick? A yeah, lacrosse pole? Stick. It's called a stick? Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like I said, we don't, we don't really have lacrosse out here. I mean, cannabinoids is just one bucket. I mean, then obviously right. there's the whole grain piece and with all the protein and your omegas, I mean, it is an ideal food and all these plant-based and as far as like the, the grain thing is huge. And if anyone's interested in those genetics, let me know. And then fiber and there's so many applications. So we won't go right. down. I know we were kind of two moon centric with the shop. Um, but yes, between the 12 local brands that I represent, um, Ish, it's kind of continues to expand and evolve. And then there's national brands. So part of what the other Two Moons locations had were some product um, that I would see what sold and what didn't sell. And obviously tried to stick with what was selling more so than what wasn't. Um, but also going to these shows of which I've been to several and seeing what other people are producing and what's out there. Um, there's different certifications, there's different values and benefits of all of these differentiation points, price point differentiation. And it's a trial and error. You know, I have like a, a certified USDA certified organic product that's more expensive to this. The general public tend to want to pay more to get a USDA certified organic, not necessarily, but for those that do, it's nice to have that option, but you can only have so much product before there's right. a lot of redundancy, you know? So it's a uh, picking and choosing. Um, well, I, I don't know about, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm one of those people that when goes into like a retail location, I prefer simplicity the more products, the more I get overwhelmed. I don't buy anything, you know, like it's, here's a, here's a perfect example. I hate going to the cheesecake factory. I hate eating the cheesecake factory. When you open that menu and that menu, you know, that menu is an inch thick, right? What do they specialize in? Nothing. They have everything. So like what, what really is great there? I'm not saying that, I'm not saying the food's not great. It's not awesome. You know, it's, I'm sure it's tasty, but by the time I'm, like three or four pages deep into the menu, I'm ready to leave. So, and that's, and that's similar. And usually like my wife will ask the server, like, what's good here? What's your favorite? What do you like? And that's, you know, that's also the case here at the shop. I mean, like I had mentioned, I, I have a bunch of, not a bunch, I have three different charts. I have a terpene chart that's kind of more specific to the flower side of thing. And then I have another chart that talks about cannabinoids and kind of identifies because there's over 100 cannabinoids in the plant, but I focus on what's legal below 0.3 and then CBD, but there's also the CBG and CBN, which is more sleep related and kind of talk through that real, real simp and simply and quickly. And then there's the third chart talks about those benefits that again the FDA won't allow us to make but based on research primarily the anti-anxiety anti-inflammatory pain relief sleep aid muscle relaxation antidepressant I mean there's a lot of things that people have benefited from so once I point out all these things you kind of drill down into what may be the best starting point for people based on budget um, as well as how they want to consume it. So, you know, the smokable products are the most efficacious as far as the immediate effect. So when you smoke or vape, you're going to feel it right away. Um, but it's not going to last as much as an oil, which is sublingual drops go into your tongue, get through your, your mucous membranes and your bloodstream. So that's going to get, you know, the, the 
best effect, but it's going to take an hour or so to feel the effect and then it'll last longer. Some people don't want to deal with an oil because you know, you're dropping an oil and trying to dose it. They want to do like a multivitamin or vitamin C. So they like gummies mm-hmm. or capsules. And then you kind of guide them towards, again, the dosage. And if, if someone wants a vegan one, as opposed to a gummy that might have gelatin in it. And so you get into some different nuance. And then also there's, you know, the topicals, which aren't going to get into your bloodstream so much as target an area like lower back pain and stuff like right. that. So you mean, you mean you're not a, you mean you're not trying to set grandma up with a pre-roll? <laughs> Sometimes you'd be surprised. How oh, I know there's some, there's some, there's some that that they, they were in, you know, they were around during the seventies. So they, they, know, they know what's up. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And even people that smoke, I mean, we're in the Southeast. I think 41% of smokable um, consumers are in, in this market um, just because it's tobacco central, um, but tobacco causes cancer. So people that like smoking, but that don't want to smoke um, tobacco are interested in smokable hemp flour, even to the point where there's pre-rolls that are filter tipped and are crushed flip top box that looks like a regular cigarette and that's a a popular way to consume it the o cannabis conference and expo returns to toronto june 1st through the 3rd and there are still good booth locations available this exciting event is free for cannabis retailers and will feature tommy chung receiving a lifetime achievement award at the o cannabis industry awards for more information about exhibiting or to register to attend, go to ocannabis.com. That's O-C-A-N-N-A-B-I-Z.com. And CBD kills cancer in rats in studies. You're not allowed right. to say that though. No, 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 no. This is this is peer-reviewed studies. Oh, good. No, this is this is legitimate. There's legitimate peer-reviewed scientific literature of CBD killing rats, killing cancer in rats. Yeah. That's so awesome. that's, yeah, that's as far as I'm going on that. I'm not, <laughs> not going any further on those comments. Plus um, yeah, it's been a while since I've seen or, or read about that. So don't, don't need to dive too deep, too deep into that. We'll get on. Um, but usually we'll on, it's like a 10 minute, it's about a 10 minute experience for someone to come in and me to walk through everything and kind of drill down into something. And I would say 95% or, you know, 98% of the people that walk in for the first time, will walk out with something and that may just be a pre-roll. It may be a, a $12 bottle of, uh, of an oil or, you know, a small bag, $12 bag of gummies. Cause I don't like to right. oversell, you know, out of the gate, don't spend a lot, try it, experiment with it, you know, as far as how much you take and when you take it. And usually most of the time they'll come back and get more cause it's helped. I feel like I understand the experience you're talking about a bit because now not me selling, you know, products at retail, but I get so many people asking me questions. Um, Hey, Mark, what do you think about this? Hey, uh, you know, is this a good product? And, you know, sometimes, sometimes I'm helpful, helpful, but for the, like, and I'll inform them of like, you know, here's what you should be looking for and here's why you should be looking for it. However, when they, when I get presented these products, there's just so many products out in the world that like my brain kind of shuts off because like I don't know if that product is done correctly or if that brand is a legitimate brand because there's just so much out there. So it's like, well, then that's yeah, yeah. And really, that's the value that the people realize because yes, they can go online and get stuff direct from manufacturer or there's a ton of stuff out there or even different shops. But usually, when I walk 
through it with them. Some of the, because if you go to a big box store, you're not going to get the time and attention or someone that has the knowledge and understanding of these different products. And most of them I've tried myself to really understand what does it taste like and, and what is the different benefits, at least within my experience. And people appreciate that. And I think that's that experience because in retail at the end of the day, it's really more of an experience. And a lot of these people I, I've known now for, you know, over two years and they're friends. We have a little chit chat and, you know, we kind of go through it. And if I get new products in, cause I tend to try to vary um, different variations and different things. And again, the industry is moving and changing so much. So, right. you know, there's the standard products that people really love and do well, you want to have those, but then there's new and different products that you want to be able to offer and let them try and experience. So totally now sure true about flower. Um, yeah. And in the market, there's a lot of other cannabinoids that are showing up that people are been interested in. Right, right. That are that still need a lot of efficacy studies as far and as it, yeah, and, and it's really it's a shame that the, the industry is so constrained with on the rec side or med side, the high THC people want like the highest THC. So that type one or with, where it's only um, a hemp based, then it's 0.3, which is such an arbitrary number. I think the best I mean, is that do it's that one to one ratio, like five percent, five percent, or ten percent, ten percent. Let's be real. Who's really like? I mean, how much would you have to smoke? Or, I mean, and it's not feasible to extract like one percent THC, right? You're not really getting stoned off that. If anything, you're getting a much better effect from. Sorry, not CBD. What? Yeah, one percent THC, right. and let's say it's a six or six to ten percent cbd in that same in that same bud and it's like you're probably getting a much better effect you know with the whole entourage effect and and all the more more information that we need to know about the efficacy portion of it but then just saying like no it, we, we're going to demonize thc because it's the one that may or may not get you some psychoactive effect if it's in a certain concentration it's yeah. just it is such an arbitrary number it's a shame really but yeah. Now I got a question for you. This, this spurred my thought um, about, you know, you informing, you informing people of like the, the products that they should, um, that would be good for them, right. For whatever they're trying to treat or, or deal with. Uh, you know, I mentioned that I get, I see these things all the time. Now I also encounter ones that kind of irritate me a bit. And it's the ones I feel as if the people are being taken advantage of. And this is one where it's like, I'll give you an example. I got someone that comes up to me and says, Hey, you know, I got this. This is awesome. You know, I, I, I really, I think I got a good deal. Is this a good product? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I'm looking at it. And like I said, I, I kind of shut off. I don't know anything about the brand. I don't know anything about, you know, if what they say is in it is actually in it, but then I always look at what's on the ingredient label, you know, what is actually in it. You know, I'm, it's a tincture. I'm looking at the, uh, you know, the cannabinoids it's got, it's only CBD using probably some type of isolate. Um, and then it's mixed with some type of oil, usually sometimes like a, like a sunflower oil or sometimes MCT, an MC, MCT or right. whatnot. But, but either way, they're like, oh yeah, this was 80 bucks. And I'm looking at it, it's got 500 milligrams of CBD. And that's when I'm just like, oh man, like these people are just being, some people are just being taken advantage of. I'm like, okay. And I tell them like, look, the CBD going into that, product may or may not have cost a dollar probably not probably way less than a dollar especially if it's 500 milligrams um you know then you got the packaging the branding the other ingredients i'm like these other ingredients had to have cost 10 to 15 bucks 
for that business. Otherwise, that product probably costs that business $3 to make, maybe $2.50 and they're selling it to you direct consumer for 80 bucks. And I'm just like, that's, that's one of those ones where it's, you know, everybody has to make money, right? You got to make money, you know, but there's a difference when people are being taken advantage of. And I'm like, okay, this, this is clearly just someone taking advantage of people that need something for an ailment. And for me as retail, I mean, it's keystone pricing. So I have a 500 milligram, you know, oil that I'm paying $15 to buy wholesale and I sell it for 30. And that's, you know, your standard markup, you double it. And then when you look at, you know, taking out the overhead, I mean, the net margin is going to be 15, 20%, depending on discounts, which I usually have discounts available, like customer loyalty programs. And, you know, I have specific days of the week where specific products are discounted. So just trying to differentiate and offer value. But you're right. I mean, if you look at the amount of oil that you can extract from biomass and how much um, is produced. I don't understand why more manufacturers or especially vertically integrated farmers that can go to direct to consumer at a lower price point. If the price points lower to the consumer, they're going to come back and buy more because it's not such an expense to them. And the more that they're buying, you create more demand. And so the supply and demand thing can get leveled out a little bit more, but there's so much supply and the price points keep coming down on the biomass, which translate over to your post-processed ingredients, um, I just think the price should be less. And then people wanna buy more, especially if it's a high quality. And, you know, cause again, there is the misrepresentation, which um, is super un unfortunate that that's the case in the industry. I mean, I've seen some advertising like on standard television where it doesn't even have CBD in it, but it's, it's promoted as hemp based and it's really hemp seed oil which has no cannabinoids so it's it's right. uh, you know the regulation i think it's important the well, industry should be regulated and i don't know yeah. what's being so long we just create some opportunities yeah and the advertising thing that's kind of a double-edged sword because you know you mentioned it says it's 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 hemp derived or it's hemp extract or whatever hemp oil and right. You know, in a lot of cases, people have to do that because if they say CBD or cannabinoid at all, they can no longer have an advertisement. So well, technically, CBD is a patented drug. So there's a whole issue about. Specific. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and question for you, which I'm sure you know, who patented it? <laughs> GW Pharmaceuticals. CBD? Yeah. Well, are, you, are we talking about, uh, what was it, Epidiolex? Right. So that or yeah. there's an Exanol. Okay. Okay. So GW Labs, um, which is a British company that I think was just recently acquired for a lot, but um, yeah, I guess actually I I was referring to which I thought I guess I just missed mixed them up in my head was the uh, the U.S. patent on THC. Oh, okay. I think the government patented all these cannabinoids like forty years ago or something. Right. Yeah. There was a there was a movement about it. I mean, one of them one of them. I'm not sure if it was. THC or CBD was patented as a neuroprotectant by the U.S. government, so it's like crazy. You know, the jig is the jig is up. Like, yeah, you you're clearly admitting to this being a, a you know a drug that can help people, you know, or, or a compound that can help people, and and clearly outlining the efficacy of it in your patent papers, which is wild. And and just to think that it's still being regulated the way it is is just absurd. 
but it's become certainly more popular. I don't know if anyone saw the cannabinoid thing when they legalized industrial hemp. I think they were maybe thinking more grain and, and fiber as far as the uses of the plant. Um, but the cannabinoid uh, thing has proved pretty interesting, especially lately with the whole Delta-8. Uh, there's a lot of that going on. Um, and that too has a lot of potential risk for the industry. It'll be interesting to see how all of this plays out. But I know we've been going for a while here chatting and there's so much to it. It's super exciting industry to be involved in. There's a lot of challenges and issues for with both you know products that are in the market, people involved looking for a quick buck, those that are also like real and legitimate, but again, having been constrained by a lot of the legal and advertising issues. Um, farmers, there's a lot of risk, uh, weather-based risk, genetics, as far as feminized, unfeminized seed, germ rates. You can't look at a seed and, and know what it is. So, I and mean, you talk, sorry, you talk about the risk, Drew, but let's talk about the fact that crop insurance is a rough one. Is, is, is I mean, I've, I've talked to, we've, we've kind of, it's something that like we've worked on for a while because we've got so many businesses that, that need that type of uh, risk mitigation. And then we've talked to businesses where the crop insurance that they get on their property or that they would have to get on their property, it is absurd, the prices. Like basically how much they would have to pay or grow to even make it feasible. You know, yeah. so it's it's because obviously that's a normal thing in, in all agricultural industries, crop insurance, yeah. especially if you're selling futures and stuff like that. So, you know, if you're, if you're selling or if you're uh, licensing your, your farm, your location, um, you know, or your, your partner with someone, you're going to be growing their crop for them. And in those cases, you have to have some sort of reassurance that this product, yeah. you know, when it's all said and done, Drew, if I'm growing, I'm growing a hundred acres of your hemp on my farm, you know, if I don't grow it properly or we get hit with, a, with a frost and everything's right. done, you're screwed. Right. So, <laughs> You know, yeah. yeah I mean, farming is not easy. I have so much like appreciation for the farmers and kind of what they're doing. And unfortunately, a lot in, you know, 2019 grew speculatively um, and there was just an oversupply or they were growing it like it was a crop and then trying to promote it as smokable where you can get, say, 200 a pound instead of, you know, $2 a pound. And now that prices come down even further or, you know, there's more sophisticated buyers and again on the smokable side i mean if there's seeds and, and if it's if it's not properly cured and stored it's going to get that hay nose which isn't going to carry over to to um to be a, a value so there is uh there's a, a lot to take into consideration right. um, on, on the seed side and ultimately really trying to talk to the farmer. And the, my talk at the World Ag Expo um, back in February was, uh, I was at the shop talking about beginning with the end in mind in order to figure out you know, what you should grow and how much you should grow and which of these different genetics and cultivars would fit um, or to diversify and do 
some of this and some of that and try them, see how they perform for you. Because again, everyone's terroir is different. Um, and so really understanding which genetic will perform best. And if you're selling into the market, if you can have hundreds of pounds of one varietal or you can have um, several varietals that kind of gives you more opportunity to sell to a shop like mine where I may already have a specific uh, cultivar on the shelf so I don't want more of it and if that's the only one you grew well then you know you got to kind of move on to the next shop or if you're extracting and it's going to be biomass as an ingredient does the cultivar really matter maybe it's just that you know the cannabinoid profile because you don't want that plant to go hot so right and you know, terpenes are becoming more of a thing in the market I mean some people are growing that extract for terpenes more so than even for cannabinoids so yeah and and depending some i mean i've seen terpenes go for several hundred dollars a gram for for a terpene Uh, but that was back that was back when terpenes were like brand new and you can either get them from um, other natural sources right pine needles right pining all that stuff but but um it was the cannabis derived or the hemp derived terpenes the ones that actually came from that plant that were drastically more expensive uh, but I'm glad you segued into genetics and I don't want to, I'm not, I want to keep you here all day. I know we've been, we've already been on for well over an hour. This was the last thing I wanted to kind of talk about with you. Um, you mentioned begin, what was it? It was begin with the end in mind, right? It was a Coveyism, Stephen yeah. Covey. Yeah. So, so, I mean, that's extremely important, right? Is for any farmer, especially the ones that jumped into it in 2018, because we all saw a lot of issues with bad genetics and, product getting thrown out, product testing two, 3% CBD when it was supposed to be a high CBD strain, but it was more of an industrial fiber strain. Um, you know, so when it comes to like, say the genetic side, how important is it to not only get the right genetics and then what is being done on, cause I, I'm not that deep on the genetic side, you know, obviously you are, what's being done constantly from, let's say breeders, or genetics companies to constantly be improving the genetics, the genetics of the plant. And, uh, you know, one last comment there, we talked about wine earlier. This is one of the amazing things about cannabis is that with such a short life cycle to a finished product, you can iterate so quickly. It takes, it takes three or four years in the ground for, for a grapevine to even have a full yield, you know, and then, then people are going to have those, those vines in the ground for a hundred years and those vines aren't going to change much. So you have consistency, but you're also not improving in, in the way you can with a cannabis plant. So yeah, sorry, I just threw a lot at you, but diving in genetics. Full disclosure, I'm not a grower. Um, and I, you know, I always tell people that. So when it gets into how to grow and different inputs, I have great relationships with people who understand a lot of that. And a lot of what I do is connect people. So I can point someone into the right direction as far as talking about um, whether it's your inputs for your fertilizations and whether it's your IPM, your integrated pest management, because pests are a huge um, challenge um, for sure, especially, you know, outdoor. Um, But yeah, as far as genetics there, you know, they haven't been around a long time um, as far as hemp is concerned. So it's still all relatively new. Cannabis has been around a lot of people and when I say the differentiation between hemp and cannabis, we're just talking about that 0.3% total um, 
depending on what state you're in, and then knowing when you're getting tested, plants and field relative to when you're getting, when you harvest. So for flower on shelf, it's not total, it's just Delta nine, but. Drew, this is a trick question that I ask people all the time because it's just a quick gauge on, on you know, how much you actually do or do not know about the hemp plant, or sorry, hemp slash cannabis. And I ask someone, what's the difference between the hemp, between hemp and cannabis? That's yeah, it. Is- and, and it's a trick question because, nothing there's only a 0.3 percent designation you know so yeah so it's just one of those things that i ask someone i'm like hey you know do you know what you're talking about over here or not i'm not i'm not the expert i most of the time don't know what i'm talking about um now on the the genetic side though so as far as the the breeders the breeders that you work with um you know in in the seeds um what's being done there i mean really what's that process look like and, and what kind of like say innovations or, or improvements to the genetics are, are constantly being work, worked on? I'm, I'm just kind of curious. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's the breeding, obviously keeping in mind your thresholds, particularly around that total THC and total meaning that you're taking your Delta nine and then you're adding 87% of your THCA which is another cannabinoid that when heated decarboxylates and that acidic form converts into your Delta nine. So smokable flour can be Delta nine compliant at below 0.3, but can have a higher percent. And in most cases, as the CBD percentage goes up, so too is the THCA. So when you smoke flour, you're converting that THCA into the Delta nine. But when you're dealing with post-processed goods, then it's, it's just based on that Delta 9. But the plant likes to produce THC. So it's really hard for farmers in field. And that's on a plant-by-plant basis. And it's also whether you're testing stem, leaf, or the bud. So if you're doing a homogenized test, you can bring down um, that total T. CPG is kind of really popular because the total T is much more likely to be compliant um, and, you know, in a lot of cases, people are exporting to, you know, Europe, which is a 0.2 total. So there's different, again, beginning with the end in mind. So where's your market? Who are you selling to? Um, it's not always about the cannabinoids. It's important when you're testing in the field. Fortunately, the USDA, even at total T compliance is giving you 30 days. In a lot of cases, people are saying, well, test early and test often so that the plant doesn't go hot. Um, and in some cases, the breeders are improving that ability to prevent the plant from going hot. Um, but I've seen the same plant grown or that same cultivar grown in Florida as in New York. And it's just going to look different, that terroir, that atmosphere, the humidity. So they're, they're also breeding to reduce disease because when you're dealing with humidity, if it's a tight bud like California buds, they like everything tight and dense. Um, some California, Oregon- baby. Yeah. Everybody's uptight. <laughs> well, they want it to look like high THC and there are different genetics that can produce a really frosty type bud, but that's not going to bode well in a, you know, it's really dry in California here on the East coast. There's a lot of humidity. And if you have a lot of that tightness, you don't get the airflow. You're bud rot. getting disease. Yep. And then you're dealing with bugs and you can't spray anything because this is a consumable um, and it's not allowed. And, and, and it also bio, um, the, the bio, it pulls everything out of the ground. Um, yeah, bio, was it, it's a bioaccumulator. 
Yep. So you've got to get your soil tested. And if you're growing on ground that was previously sprayed with pesticides or has lead or some other heavy metals in it, you know, that's going to end up in the consumer products. So you got to be careful with your tests. Um, so as far as breeding, you can breed for those different areas so that your plant is going to have um, the ability to let more airflow um, move around or again, the, the total T compliant piece um, and just perform better. They don't like wet feet, as they say. So if you're in an area where there's a lot of moisture, that's going to be a potential problem and you need to be aware of genetics. Frost, we talked about frost earlier as far as on the crop insurance side. So if you're in nor a farther north, you're going to plant later um, or have to harvest earlier. So they have some genetics that are considered more early finishers or mid finishers. You don't, the plant will finish prior to say mid-October. So there's different finishing. And then there's your light cycle. So when the plant flowers. So if you're planting around solstice is when it switches naturally when it's 12-12, it'll go from your veg, which is your growth, to your flower. And then you start producing the buds, which has the cannabinoids in it. But if you have a plant that does well in Michigan based on that light cycle, that's going to be different than in Texas. So you need to kind of understand how that plant performs relative to the photo period. Or you can look at autoflower, which is going to mature regardless. It's daylight neutral. Um, mm. So there's some other genetics. So there's a lot going on. Right. Right. The and then <laughs> and then all of that, everything you just mentioned can be manipulated via the nutrients that you're giving the plant. Right. So, you know, if you're and there's stressors, you know, there's other natural right. things that, that happen. So, you know, to some extent it's trial and error, like, a, you know, which you want to avoid, but you can't control the weather. So you're just up against that to, to an extent. Anyway, it's also the market, you know, some as far as consumers, there may be a genetic that if you're only growing uh, a, a certain type of genetic on the terpene side, then you're limited because it all smells the same-ish. So you can pick different genetics that have different terpene profiles so that this way, it's not just about cannabinoids, but you can sell into the market um, based on that. So, and of course the, the, the look, again, that bud structure, there's some- That, that bag appeal. Right. And that gets more into like whether you're outdoor, indoor, and indoor meaning whether it's a hoop house um, or it's a, a, a greenhouse that has supplemental light to kind of, um, you know, there's hydroponic, there's, you know, you can go totally indoor, but then there's a scale thing. The, the tighter your space, the less you're going to produce. Um, right. And spend and what from just from I, you know, what I've, what I've seen is it's uh, people, I mean, it's, it's vastly more expensive, right, to do indoor hemp and with the prices of hemp pounds dropping uh it's tough for some people to run big operations with a lot of lights a lot of uh you know air conditioning trying to cool those places down so well and then expensive. post harvest how you're handling that plant from your bucking and your trimming to your curing it um and storing it so you know you need to keep all of that i saw someone there's some products out there that are like auto burping, you know, your flower, you stick it into this, this box, you know, and it basically will using controls, it'll manipulate the, uh, your temperature and humidity and, and allow for burping so that you can properly cure it and retain those, those terpenes. Um, let's be real. Let's be real. Someday in the future, it's going to be all robotic, robotic, all automated. Yeah. To, <laughs> you can have some stoned ass robots 
<laughs> tending to these fields. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, right. I'm just <laughs> kidding. Oh, this is great. So I got I got yeah. one last one last question for you um, before we before we wrap this up. So what what gets you excited about the future for the hemp space? And then the other thing we were talking about breeding, but now there's triploids. So you know where you can have seedless. So you know there are there are to, to mitigate. Oh, you're talking about, you're talking about like uh, you're talking about tissue propagation. No, on, on genetic side. So oh, they, like since like since Amelia, like the right. So a seed, yeah. so it won't be pollinated because as the industry evolves, where there's you're growing grain, you're you're going to be there's going to be pollen, and if your neighbors seven miles downwind of you are growing grain and you're growing cannabinoids outside, and you end up having your crop seeded, that's going to reduce your value because people mm -hmm. on the smokable side don't want to have seeds in their flowers so okay so i guess i guess this was the what you just mentioned was a little bit different than than what i was thinking so you're saying that genetically the strain the genetics cannot um, be pollinated so it's a female it's a female plant that's you know derived that's supposed to be producing an amazing flower yet genetically the the ability for it to be pollinated has been bred out of it those are being brought to market this year. So okay, whoa, how, that's cool. Ask me how that worked out in six months, you know, come October harvest, but very interesting. Yeah. There's, and I mean, technology, I mean, with the markers and again, I'm not a breeder, but they can really dive deep into those genetics and look at all this different nuance and manipulate. But then are we talking about, you know, getting into like a GMO type thing, which is what they do with a lot of other crops. So right. to what extent is, it's going to be a very different, it, it is and will continue to further differentiate in the market space as far as what you're trying to produce and what that consumer is looking for and really how to I, differentiate your product. I guess I do have one question. So I mentioned that other question was going to be the last question, question which is uh, <laughs> what do you, you know, what gets you excited? But let's table that one, one second real quick. Um, you know, just before that, the question about genetics with say, say, um, things being modified. What do you see the future being when it comes to like the straight commoditized flower and, uh, and cannabinoid producing strains versus the, you know, let's say boutique strains, you know, what, how do you, how do you kind of see that playing out? Is this, does this industry end up like, like the, you know, what actually this is not how the beer industry was. The beer industry eventually became this where you have the, you know, the mass produced light beers uh, from the big giant beer conglomerates. And then you have the, you know, the, the boutique small mom and shop brewery or the, you know, the brewery down the street that's, that's producing some very interesting beer. However, the hops and the malts and stuff that are going into that beer, those are mostly commoditized. So a lot of people are starting with the same or very similar base and then producing that into a product a you know, a, a small craft beer product, but it all came from the commoditized portions of those things that they used for it. You know, so this is a little bit different, but what right. do you see happening there? Do you, I mean, do we have boutique flower strains? Does it just get kind of, does it get commoditized out? Like what happens? Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's definitely, I mean, the beer industry having been in it, you know, I, I use as uh, metaphorically, as far as this market where those InBev type beer, large, you know, scale, commercial grown for ingredients. So that's not going to be your craft flour. That's just going to be processed into an ingredient and you're scaling to reduce your, you know, your, your costs in order to commoditize, drop the price. Whereas a more of a, a craft grown flour that's 
all that terroir, everything we talked about, is going to retain a higher price per pound because of the story and even you know the the, the those breeders and what they're producing and where it's grown and and that the how it's grown, how it's even trimmed and diving into like those trichome heads. If you you know have a loose trim, it doesn't look as attractive. Um, but if you have a two of a tight trim and you're shaving it, you're really cutting into all those. Um, all of your trichomes where all those cannabinoids are in those mushroom heads and you're cutting them and this volatile terpenes escaping and you're losing the nose. So, you know, what's your density of trichomes and what, what are they retained and when were they harvested? I mean, there's a, a lot of nuance to that craft um, grown. I think there's always going to be a market for that smaller scale, but a higher price um, per unit, as opposed to a commercial large scale grown lower price per unit. Again, begin with the end of mind. It really depends on the market that you want to target. And then also, you know, your brand. So a lot of those vertically integrated farmers where they're growing in a way where it's whether it's sun and earth certified or, you know, a USDA certified organic or just the history of where it was grown or who grew it, which genetics. Um, a lot of those come into play in a more sophisticated market so you sure. know that's where you know i get excited and then those miners like well what's those cannabinoid profile beyond just the cbd and the thc but then your your cbgs and cbc and cbn and i have some delta eight seeds i'll sell you but i'm only kidding because they don't exist but i have seen people say that you know and so there's there's also like who are you dealing with and what's the legitimacy of what's being said, but there are other minor cannabinoids that are being bred, whether it's CBDV or THCV, THCP. So there's over a hundred cannabinoids. So yeah. I think as the genetics evolve and those more minors become um, more elevated or they're extracted and then post extract and blended into different um, oils that have a, a wider more diverse range um, and even, you know, singled out to target, like earlier you were talking about, you know, cancer cells and more true medicine and applications where you can look at your terpenes coupled with your cannabinoids in a way that best affects sleep. So it's a CBN, CBD, and maybe myrcene and caryophylline, because all of those things are going to be shown to have been more helpful with sleep. So that's where I think the industry on the cannabinoid side um, is interesting, but well, that, yeah, that actually, that, that segues us, that's, that springboards us into that last question. What gets you excited for the future? Yeah. I mean, just seeing all the innovations, um, as this, you know, this 80 year prohibition is now being disrupted in the modern age by overlaying, um, with technology and how people are, are developing ways to, get the, the most out of this plant because it has so much to offer um, to figure out how to start. You know, my MBA had a focus in sustainability. So I'm, you know, I'm a triple bottom line guy where you're looking at the people, the planet and profits. So in order to be in business, you need to be profitable. But if you could do it in a way where you're taking care of your people um, and helping those. So on the protein side, I mean, there's so many people that, aren't getting enough protein in our own country that, you know, producing that grain and being able to deliver it um, to the market affordably, plus all of the, you know, just, a, it's like the perfect food from what I've been learning. It's an amazing, amazing plant. And then on the fiber side, when you're looking at not just for textiles, but um, hemp hat, 
hemp shirt, um, but also for the plastics, the bioplastics. I mean, oh my gosh. Some, you know, so here's like for, for, you know, this is a, a hemp based bioplastic that I use for flower. Containers. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> These are my dube tubes that I use. That's a uh, hemp based plastic. So, I mean, those are just two simple things, but I'm surrounded and, by and things that could be made with, with bioplastic. And with the hemp plant being a carbon neutral plant, are those bioplastics carbon neutral as far as uh, produce as much carbon and creation of the plastic that, that basically the plant eats up itself? Do you know about that? Well, I or? think, you know, the, the, the carbon piece is really getting into the carbon sequestration. And now, like, you know, I was in the solar industry for years and we had renewable energy credits and we had tax credits and there were different ways to financially um that were financially beneficial that the government you know was putting in place as incentives to they did it with the semiconductors in the 80s i mean the government's just not getting behind this plan but if they yeah. did there's mechanisms on the financial side to encourage and offset and on the carbon sequestration side so i mean going to you know not to greenwash or just use sustainability as a loose term but really the value and of benefit of this plant as it relates to climate is super important. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, I think that, I mean, this was great. I think that that's enough time here. We've been on for well over an hour, almost an hour and 45 minutes. Oh, um, but thank you so much for, you know, joining us in this conversation, Drew. Um, you know, basically we're jumping off now. If you got any final words, we're going to, we're going to go ahead and end it. I'm good. I'm excited. I really appreciate uh, you guys having me on to chat. This has been fun. It's not something I do very often. In fact, this is probably the first time I've done it, but it was, uh, it was really cool to talk with you guys, share my story a little bit, talk about what I have. By all means, if anyone's interested in learning about any of the products or smokable um, or genetics, um, I work with several different companies and breeders and um, distributors and drew at renewable logistics perfect well i was going to say not only to not only to say that but we're also going to put all that information in the in all the show notes so everybody that, that does listen to our chat yeah today, reach out. So. i'd love to you know if i don't know the answer i'll tell you try to point you in the right direction share some information knowledge collaborate at the end of the day this industry will succeed because of collaboration and innovation and you know it takes a village so right we just need to stay in touch figure it out work hard and we're going to get there. Right. Right. Very cool. Awesome. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey everyone, it's Ryan from the Cannabis Connoisseur Podcast. If you're looking for ways to utilize cannabis to keep you healthy, strong, and sharp, come join us every Wednesday where we dive into the best ways to use cannabis to optimize your life. Topics include cannabis and athletics, cannabis for productivity, cannabis for anxiety, cannabis for a healthy immune system, and so much more. If you're a curious connoisseur, this show is for you. So please head over to our page and we're looking forward to seeing you this week. Bye.